Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Bismillah walhamdulillah wassalatu wassalam ala rasulillah amma ba'd. Welcome to session 7 of uh, the IFG Tafsir and today uh, is uh, exciting for two reasons. One is because uh, today is the first time we are doing this uh, Tafsir class on uh, our Tafsir club platform which means that um, the people who are live on this uh, Tafsir class are the people who um, have uh, signed up with us to be live on this platform with us. Uh, and inshallah, we want to go on a journey with you guys where we both kind of engage in the Quran uh, and, and spend uh, you know, a brief moment of time, take a bit of a pause during our life and just spend some time with the Quran. So that's the first reason why this is exciting. And the second reason, why this is exciting is because today we're talking about halal meat of all things um, and uh, I know how passionate Muslims get about halal meat so I was I'm, I'm quite looking forward to seeing how uh, this actually pans out because um, I know um, Mohsin by the way Mohsin is on as well uh, Mohsin's on mute at the moment uh, he is uh, showing dedication to the cause um, because today it's his sister-in-law's wedding, uh, as I understand. Uh, but Mohsin has obviously put his priorities um, uh, in the right order, and he's put Islamic finance guru Tafsir before his sister-in-law's wedding, uh, and, and he's tuning in live from uh, the, uh, the the wedding itself. So, um, uh, so Jazakallah khair for that, Mohsin. Um, and um, the, the 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 an interesting uh, anecdote to I think to frame this whole discussion about halal meat is that uh, when I got married four years ago now almost four years ago uh, actually more than four years ago um, my father-in-law who is himself a uh, well-respected scholar uh, he had a, a great emphasis on uh, HMC meat and halal meat, and in particular, doing the udhiya uh, at Eid, um, the the sacrifice of the animal at Eid, uh, ideally by oneself, or if not by oneself, then at least going to witness it um, in a in a slaughterhouse if if one can. And this whole thing got me, you know, got me thinking: why why is my father-in-law uh, really emphasizing this point, especially? Uh, you know, and if anyone's father-in-law is emphasizing a point, you know, you, you have to take it seriously, right? Because otherwise uh, you might run into some rocky territory. So I, I decided I needed to take this seriously and I started looking into um, halal meat and HMC and HFA and all of the uh, wonderful world of um, halal, uh, halal meat debating that there is out there. And um, today I want to share some of that with you. Uh, but actually there are a number of really, really important reasons why we need to be um, focusing on exactly what we eat because um, frankly this is uh, one of the most emphasized things uh, in our religion and unfortunately because um, you know so we often uh, don't really focus in on the actual teachings underlying um, the, the eating and drinking that we partake in uh, we, we sometimes forget 
um, that being the case. So what I want to do in terms of uh, this this uh, the session is break it down into um, roughly two or three sections. In the next section, I want to talk about why is, is it so important in the first place? Why is this discussion so important? And, and what are the benefits of eating halal uh, versus haram and halal and tayyib versus not? Then we want to go into, well, what actually is halal? What actually is this, uh, you know, the biha? The, the what, what is it um, made up of? What uh, foods can we eat? What foods can't we eat? Um, and uh, that breaks down into two sections. One is halal and tayyib, and the other one is the technicalities of it all as well. And then finally, we'll conclude with uh, a, a, a quick look at the HFA versus HMC debate and the Zabiha versus non-Zabiha uh, debate, um, and, and we'll conclude with that, and we'll, we'll uh, take any questions uh, that you guys might have. So uh, looking at why is um, halal meat so important, um, by the way, before we do that, it's important to just note that there are actually uh, two ayat of the Quran that we will turn to um, in due course that underpin this entire um, tafsir class. And that is uh, 2168 in Surah Baqarah, verse 168, and 2173. So we'll, we'll turn to those in due course. Um, but first, let's just have a think about why this is an important topic for us to discuss right now and what this has to do with Islamic finance guru. I mean, what, why is Islamic finance guru talking about, um, you know, chickens and whether or not they've been electrocuted or not? Why is that relevant? Well, the primary reason why it's relevant for us is because halal um, sustenance and halal income and eating halal is all part and parcel of the same thing, right? So if you are um, if you are working in a bank, but you are really concerned about making sure that your meat is HMC, then that is, there is something clearly contradictory going on there. Um, whereas at the same time, if you are working in something that is perfectly permissible, but you are more than happy to have uh, non-Zabiha meat, um, you know, just buy any meat from Tesco, then again, there's some kind of disconnect between the two kind of uh, halal sustenances that you are actually uh, consuming. So we need to consider both of these things very carefully. Um, then the, um, uh, the, the other important reason in this period of time that we're living in today, in the UK, but also more generally in the West, it's so important to focus on uh, what exactly is halal because we've gone from the generation where there were uh, our parents were potentially migrants into this country they um, were brought brought up in uh, a Muslim majority country usually and then we've now got into the third and fourth and fifth generations and these are the generations where I, I like to think I like to call them the going off the rails generations. There, there is a high propensity um, of uh, a, a percentage of these generations to start moving away from what was, you know, the, 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 the essence of Islam or the true spirit of Islam and, and a rigid adherence and a real Iman in their hearts. And, and so we need to talk about this topic because how this manifests itself um, in this uh, day and age is um, we have moved now from the debate on HMC versus HFA to the debate on Zabiha versus non-Zabiha. And I wasn't really aware of this until um, I went to an Islamic uh, event. 
an Islamic conference or an Islamic course. And in at lunchtime, we went away and we went to Lyon, which is just a, a shop um, in uh, the um, in the locality of the of the course. And the shop was serving um, meat, and it was it was just a normal shop, so not a, not a halal food shop, not run by any Muslims. And uh, my friend he he decided to go for the the meat, and and I was surprised because obviously I'd gone for the uh, the fish option, as you know Muslims are uh, used to doing in in these contexts. But uh, I asked him, why did he go for the lamb? It's, it, presumably, it's not halal. I mean, do you know something about Leon? And then I found out that he was taking the argument on board about uh, Zabiha versus non-Zabiha and how all of the uh, the meat in uh, the UK in the UK should be considered from the meat of the Ahl Kitab and from the meat of the the people of the book, and therefore um, it would be automatically permissible for him to eat uh, things like chicken, a lamb, beef, etc. Uh, and and that really started some alarm bells ringing in my head that this is actually becoming um, a quite a concerning topic, and we need to we need to discuss this. And we are in a way a step behind the uh, you know our brothers in America where I think they, they are already having, very much having this Zabiha versus non-Zabiha debate because they're, I suppose, a generation advanced to us um, or, or um, a generation, you know, more um, in, in the off-the-rails territory, as I put it earlier, than, than we are. So let's, let's have this conversation. Why is it important? Your dua will not be accepted if you are eating haram. If you are eating haram meat, if you are eating haram food, the Prophet ﷺ said that a man who undertakes a lengthy journey and is disheveled and covered with dust, and he stretches forth uh, his hands towards the heavens, saying, "Oh Lord, oh Lord," when his food is haram and his drink is haram and his clothes are haram, he is nourished with the haram. So how can he uh, be granted a response? So your du'a will not be accepted if you are eating and drinking um, haram um, haram sustenance. The uh, the second uh, point it is so crucial is that you know, this sacrifice of an animal and this eating of halal food and the saying of the name of God is not just a uh, you know activity devoid of spirituality. In fact, it is an activity that is given meaning precisely because of the spirituality imbued within that activity. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he talks about in the context of uh, the udhiyah. And I think the udhiyah is a really good um, way of understanding uh, the spirituality element of, of halal meat. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, Allah subhanahu wa will not reach Allah, nor will their blood. But what reaches him is piety from you, that you may glorify Allah for that to which he guided you and give glad tidings to those doers of good. So the crucial thing here is that Allah SWT is saying that you, know, you have sacrificed, and this is in the context of Udhiyah, you have sacrificed this animal for Allah SWT and um, to fulfill his, um, his orders. That meat is not going to go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That meat is not going to nourish Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That meat is going to be eaten in part by you, by your family, maybe some poor people. But the taqwa is the important thing here. 
The taqwa is the crucial thing that raises this from just an activity to an act of uh, ibadah. And the taqwa is something that uh, permeates all of uh, the the that we do, all of the dhabihamit that we have is um, is hinges upon the saying of the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon it. And, and that brings us back to a basic core, um, which is that we have been given a responsibility by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in the Quran, <clears throat> بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وإذ قال ربك للملائكة إني جاعل في الأرض خليفة and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he said to the angels that I'm going to establish upon the earth a successor, a vice region, a khalifa someone who looks after a custodian of the earth and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he sent down man and we as human beings have a level above the animals in that we have free will and we have the ability to um, we have the ability to do right and we have the ability to do wrong and we have the ability to worship Allah and we have the ability to not worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, whereas the other creation they do not have this um, ability Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran inna aradnan amanata ala samawati wal ardi wal jibal fa'abayna an yahmilnaha we uh, displayed this amana this trust or this duty um, to uh, the samawat and the uh, and to the heavens and the earth and to the mountains, but they refused to take upon this uh, this amana, and and the human beings they took it on, and this amana is described as the ability to um, do right and the ability to do wrong, to take upon oneself to actually fulfill the law of Allah subhanahu wa taala, and that comes with the possibility of um, messing up. It comes with the possibilities that arise out of free will. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has uh, entrusted us and he has given us that huge burden, but also that huge uh, way of uh, taking ourselves far beyond uh, any other creation, um, which is that uh, burden of free will. And if we fulfill our purpose and we fulfill our activities in the true sense, then we can um, elevate ourselves. So halal food is a um, is an element of that. You know, we have control over the animals that we sacrifice, and so the way that we behave towards them uh, is, uh, it, you know, will reflect upon upon ourselves and our ability to fulfill this uh, this amana. But then, secondly, the way that we behave to them is that they have been given life by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he does not want us to go around killing and slaughtering animals willy-nilly. You know, we are um, only allowed to take a life when it is necessary for our sustenance. And, the you know, the Arabs, when they, uh, when they uh, would break bread with someone and they would uh, share food, they would say, uh, you know, Here, here's some food, you know, with health and, um, and prosperity and, um, you know, you're at ease. Whereas these days when uh, a restaurant will serve you some food, it will say, enjoy. But actually the, the, the reason why we're eating at heart in Islam is not enjoyment. That is a byproduct of it. The reason why we're eating in Islam is because of um, nourishment. And so it must be necessary for us to kill that animal uh, in order for us to benefit from that animal as well. And, and unfortunately, in this day and age, we have lost touch 
with that um, with that uh, you know intimate relationship and actually taking the life of an animal. And I advise all of you, by the way, um, to just uh, sacrifice at least once with your hands uh, an animal, because then you will realize that this is something. It is an intensely sacred experience when you are sacrificing. You're literally killing an animal and you are asking permission from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in the name of Allah. I kill this animal so that this loss of life this sentient being that has given you its life is uh, is something that is uh, permitted and something that is uh, acceptable in the eyesight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so um, it gets you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if we do this properly and, and also very very interesting hadith it is that the zabiha is a distinguisher between a Muslim and a non-Muslim, Rasulullah he says, I've been ordered to fight the people till they say La ilaha illallah. And if they say so, uh, and offer prayers like ours and salat, uh, face our qibla and slaughter as we slaughter, then their blood and property will be sacred to us and we will not interfere with them except legally and their reckoning will, will be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is a hadith in Bukhari. So one of the key indicators of, uh, of a Muslim is if they do the biha if they eat halal food and if they slaughter very important if they slaughter the way that we slaughter so generally speaking the Quraysh and the uh, the, the Arabs would also slaughter in exactly the way that um, we slaughter apart from they would not say the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over it and that is the key distinguisher here so we need to be slaughtering um, the way that the, the Muslim slaughter um, and, and that is a distinguisher between uh, us and uh, and non-Muslims because we are asking for the permission of Allah we are doing it in the name of Allah uh, and we and we realize that this is a sacred trust then the um, the other really interesting hadith that I came across is that um, we must and, and now we are kind of uh, segueing into the halal and tayyib territory um, but let me just mention it briefly and that is that Allah, the Prophet ﷺ said whoever kills a sparrow or anything bigger than that without a just cause Allah will hold him accountable on the day of judgment and the listeners asked O Messenger of Allah what is a just cause he replied that he will kill it to eat not simply to chop off its head and throw it away and that's in an nasai and that has something really deep um, for us to reflect on which is how many times have we been into restaurants and we will see at the end of the meal that there is a whole swathe of food that is left to waste and a lot of that will be meat but a lot of it will be other kind of food as well and it will be completely uh, thrown away and and wasted and it's not just the animal that has died here it's also the the hours and the labor that has gone into it the carbon emissions the damage that this has done to the environment to get this plate to you and then you have wasted it what you should do in that case i'm not saying stuff your mouth um, stuff your face you know with it all at that point i'm saying that what you should do is get it packed and take it away and have it in in uh, equal portions but let's at this point let's turn to the um the verses that we are wanting to discuss and let me just um share my screen with you um in just a second um and we'll read this uh this verse 
So the verse is A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Ya Ayyuhan Nasu Kuluma Kulu ma fil mimma fil ardi halalan tayyiba wala tattabi'u khutuwatish shaytan innahu lakum aduwwun mubin O mankind eat from what is on earth that is lawful and good and do not follow the footsteps of satan indeed he is to you a clear enemy so here Allah SWT, he is saying that you should eat halal and tayyib and then he links the opposite of that to what the shaitan does and do not follow the footsteps of Satan um, because he will lead you to something other than halal and tayyib. This is a really um, profound statement. Allah SWT, he could have just left it at, you know, eat halal and tayyib. But he said, Do not follow the footsteps of shaitan. Don't follow the footsteps. And the footsteps are indicative of how this is a step-by-step -step process. What happens when um, a young man who has grown up in uh, Bolton, um, Mohsen, I'm not having an attack on you, um, and do chime up if you know, you've got any thoughts. A young man has grown up in Bolton where HMC is a big deal. And he has always grown up eating HMC and then he goes off to university and his unfortunately he's been brought up in a way where his his uh, he doesn't have any real firm basis in his in his understanding and um he might the first thing he might start compromising on is the chicken for some reason it's always you know the white meat is easier to compromise on first than the the red meat so he might start saying all right hfa maybe or well you know it's ahlul kitab isn't it so it's fine i would just have any chicken and then the lamb will follow and the beef will follow. And then, um, you know, one thing will lead to another. And you think, you know, Ahlul Kitab. Uh, and then after a while, he'll go on to eat other kinds of haram haram food. Because he's, he's saying, you know, if I've already committed to doing this, then I might as well just continue. And, and you might think that this is, hang on, this is quite far-fetched. Why would you just having um, HFA or Zabiha? I'm not saying, by the way, that HFA is, Bad, and we'll get on to that. Uh, having um, non-Zabiha meat, why is that such a big deal? Um, and how will that you know, lead you to uh, essentially kufr? Um, I'm not saying that it will in, in every case, but what I am saying is that there is a uh, loosening of one's morality that takes place when one takes the decision to um, be loose with one's food. Because when one starts being loose with one's food, given that it is such an important part of what it means to be a human being, that is when one starts um, and, and it, it, one, one becomes much more permissive towards being loose in, in other areas as well. So that's the first ayah, and we'll talk more about the tayyib bit in just a second. The second is, Allah SWT, he says, إِنَّمَا حَرَّمَ عَلَيْكُمُ الْمَيْتَةَ وَالدَّمَ وَلَحْمَ الْخِنْزِيرِ وَمَا أُهِلَّ بِهِ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ فَمَنِ اضْطُرَّ غَيْرَ بَاغٍ وَلَا عَادٍ فَلَا إِثْمَ عَلَيْهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ He has only forbidden to you dead animals, blood, the flesh of swine, and that which has been dedicated to the other than Allah. 
But whoever is forced by necessity, neither desiring it nor transgressing its limits, there is no sin upon him. Indeed, Allah is forgiving and merciful. And uh, and this is uh, followed up by another verse which uh, extends this list. So Allah SWT, he says, um, they ask you, O Muhammad, what has been made lawful for them? Say, lawful for you are all good foods and game caught by what you have trained of hunting animals with which you train that Allah has taught you. So each of what they catch for you and mention the name of Allah upon it and fear Allah. And actually, I want to go back one verse uh, because I realized that this is the verse after. Um, so this is the actual verse. So prohibited are for you dead animals, blood, the flesh of swine, that which has been dedicated to other than Allah, those animals killed by strangling or by a violent blow. And remember that one, by a violent blow or by a headlong fall or by the goring of horns and those from which a wild animal has eaten except what you are able to slaughter before its death. Uh, before its death. And those which are sacrificed on stone altars, so other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and prohibited is that which uh, that you seek decision through divining arrows. So there was some kind of practice where they would uh, sacrifice um, through divining arrows, which one they would be sacrificing. Uh, that is grave disobedience. So this is a, a laundry list of the various kinds of things that are haram uh, in our religion to eat um, and drink from. Um, so let's go back to um, the uh, the general discussion discussion at this point. So now we've discussed, you know, why it's important. Why is this uh, halal meat topic so important? And we've discussed some of the benefits that come out of eating pure and tayyib halal stuff. But let's now really look at what this tayyib thing means. I mean, we've talked about this before, and I mentioned that uh, there's a great company, by that we're not sponsored by this company, I, I just like them, um, uh, hntfoods.com, halalatayyibfoods.com, um, and uh, they, I don't think they've gone into lamb or beef yet, they do chicken, um, organic free-range chicken. I mean, I think that is what we should be demanding from ourselves when we say halal and tayyib. I actually think, I mean, the Prophet ﷺ, they said that for 60 days, they didn't see a fire being lit from his house. And they asked him, what were you surviving on? What were you not, you weren't cooking, what were you surviving on? And he said the two black things, dates and water. And uh, uh, Prophet ﷺ, he was, he was a semi-vegetarian in, in our day and age. That's what we would call him. He would not eat meat very often at all. Whereas today we are eating meat two, three, four times a day with almost every meal we want some meat. That is an overconsumption of meat and it is leading to bad outcomes in terms of our health but also in terms of um, our spirituality and in terms of the environment as well there is a genuinely good argument in my view that we should be eating less meat i'm not saying we should ban meat but we should certainly be eating less meat because of the impact the huge impact it has on the environment when you have mass um, farming of um, of uh, you know uh, of lands that previously used to be jungles um, solely uh, to raise cattle and to uh, create the arable lands for them to graze upon, and this and these cattle they uh, um, they create a huge amount of carbon dioxide, and uh, the whole process of um, deforestation and uh, the the cattle um, growing up and uh, giving out carbon dioxide and the whole slaughter of it, the package of it, the sending of it that has a huge carbon footprint. So there is a very good argument here that is, is this necessary? Is it necessary for, to, for us to have this food? If it is not necessary, 
then we should really cut it down because that is having such a bad impact on our environment. And, and we as Muslims, we know that we should be looking after environment as that is, again, part of the trust that has been given to us. The other thing to think about halal and tayyib is not just the slaughter. So halal is something uh, from a legal perspective, it is halal. But then tayyib is something that is more than that, right? Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he wants us to be uh, eating good. What does that good mean? Well, look before the sacrifice as well. Why not just, why focus on just the sacrifice? If you've got a HMC uh, lamb or a HMC chicken and it has grown up without seeing the light of day, without um, being allowed to stretch its legs, it's been cooped up in a battery, uh, battery hen cage uh, and the lamb has been packed together with lots of other lambs and it has not had an, a, a good quality of life at all. Are you telling me that that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us? That, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to have that chicken and say that that is better for me uh, than any other kind of chicken or uh, lamb simply because um, the sacrifice, the slaughter of it was done in the technically correct way. Um, technically it is halal, I'm not saying it's haram. What I'm saying is that the real message here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is uh, wanting us to get to is that we need to be looking at the tayyib as well. So uh, so the pre-meat, the pre-sacrifice area needs to be really carefully analyzed, considered and thought about. Um, and then we need, we need to look at the post-sacrifice uh, consumption that we have as well. And we've talked about this um, a bit earlier about thinking about eating less meat, maybe eating uh, meat twice a week only. And I, and look, I, I eat a lot of meat myself. Um, and having done the research into this uh, in preparation for this stuff, see, and refresh my mind on this, I think I, I would personally like to um, start um, eating less meat and maybe making two or three days a week uh, vegetarian, uh, vegetarian um, uh, days only. Uh, I'm just looking at um, one of the, um, the questions, which is one argument is, just to say bismillah well you know what this is actually a very uh, interesting point that you raise because there is a hadith a fascinating hadith um, that we'll get on to where Aisha is commanded by the prophet to do precisely that um, so we will get on to that and um, and genuinely uh, I was uh, the implications of that hadith uh, got me really thinking um, especially when we are living in this time where you know we, we have a real focus on on HMC uh, and mostly by the way you know feel free to uh, uh, pipe up whenever uh, I know you might be getting in trouble with your sister-in-law and uh, brother-in-law um, if you do but you know if you can risk it then feel free um, so let's now look at the um, so what we've done so far is we've talked about why it's important why why this topic is important the second is what is actually halal? We've talked about halal and tayyib. Now let's look at the technicalities of it all. Um, so the, the animal itself, um, three of the four major arteries or veins need to be cut. Um, the name of Allah needs to be said over the animal. And uh, the, uh, the animal uh, must be sacrificed by a Muslim slaughterman. And these three things must um, coincide in order for it to be Halal. So, so that's the, the technical stuff. 
now we must look at the you know that there's there's that laundry list of of impermissible things and we can talk about those and if you guys have any questions then feel free to pipe up but um the crucial thing in that list was that an animal cannot be dead uh, animal cannot be dead because and die of just natural causes or other kind of causes the animal cannot be one that is um uh, that is hit with a um with something over the head and um and stunned to death uh, or beaten to death the animal um must not have died um because it's been hunted by another animal in other words the the actual act of killing that animal must be done by the individual who is slaughtering the animal when he says in the name of Allah uh, and that is really crucial because it it speaks to the um, the big debate that we're now going to um, touch upon which is a HFA versus HMC debate and this is a debate that um, I'm sure has uh, kept many uh, a family um, talking late into the night uh, many a friend circle has debated this um, themselves and uh, you can find a whole load of material online i mean the best place to start is the hmc and the hfa websites if you've got any concern uh, concerns and i think the the hfa uh, the halal food authority get a lot of bad press and over the years i think they have uh, evolved and they've changed and they've um, i think become a much more um, in line with the you know the spirit of the of the teachings uh, body they do not um, permit mechanical slaughter so where animals are in a uh, on a some kind of a processing plant or a processing chain and they are slaughtered one after another automatically mechanically they don't permit that um, and it's a common misconception that they do um, they uh, they don't they say that every single animal must be slaughtered in by an individual by a muslim uh, not a non-muslim and the name of allah must be said upon it so these are all good things they don't permit captive bolt stunning they don't permit uh, a number of other percussive uh, stunning where they are hit over the head um, they don't permit a bunch of things as well what they do permit however is stunning uh, at a very low grade uh, is, is what they put in there uh, on their website uh, and it is certified by a veterinarian um, I always um, I always butcher that um, that word which is uh, I suppose ironic given the topic um, and they the, the vet he certifies that the animal did not die as a result of that electrocution uh, that bath process that they go through uh, that they pass chickens through or uh, in the case of um, the, the the ovine uh, the, you know the, the the lamb and the, the beef um, they didn't uh, they didn't die because of the stunning that was delivered to them um, before the slaughter let's take a step back here the the crucial thing is not whether or not an animal was stunned or not like if I said to you are you against anesthetic um, when an animal is uh, go, about to go and uh, undergo an operation, you would be like, well, of course not. Why would I be against anesthetic? You know, relieving pain from an animal is something that we in in Islam are encouraged to do. Um, Prophet Sallam, he talked about the that prostitute, the story of that prostitute who was forgiven by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala for all of her life of sin because she gave water or she fed the the cat. Um, uh, milk to the cat 
Um, and uh, the man who was forgiven when he climbed down into the well and brought out some water for the dog to drink. These are famous stories in our tradition, a famous hadith in our tradition. So to, to care for an animal and to relieve the pain of an animal is something that we all must aspire to and adhere to. And if it is 100% the case that, and by the way, remember, there's, there was no kind of stunning and uh, any kind of uh, pain relief uh, or effective pain relief and certainly any scientific basis for that back in the Prophet's time. So things are different today than they were back then. Uh, so we must bear that into, into in the context as well. If someone says to me that you can completely reduce the pain of this animal when he is about to be sacrificed and this animal will not die in the process, and I can guarantee this animal will not die in the process, then I would be comfortable with adhering to that process. But the problem arises when you say that there is a fairly high statistical proportion of people who go through this process, i.e. stunning, where the animal doesn't actually die, uh, or sorry, where the animal does actually die. So the, the process of stunning was there to reduce the pain, to make the animal unconscious or um, to negate the pain. But actually what it ended up doing was to actually kill the animal. Um, and unfortunately, in, in the studies that I've looked at and that I did a bit of reading into this area, it does remain the case that there is uh, certainly no clear evidence that stunning A, reduces the pain of the animal, um, and B, that uh, the biha, the actual slaughter just using the knife um, against the animal's throat um, without um, stunning is actually any more painful. And to the extent it is more painful, it is literally for a few seconds before the animal goes brain dead and uh, the functions that register pain uh, stop functioning. So um, there really is, in, in my view, in the, the research that I've done, uh, no clarity uh, whether or not this, going the stunning route is actually uh, a more painless approach for the animal. And it is a, if it is an approach that guarantees that an animal will stay alive. I know that the HFA have got the vet certifying that the animals will stay alive. But you have to remember these are uh, primarily non-Muslim vets who are looking at the statistical probability of an animal, animal being alive or dead. And also, you know, they're, give, they're giving this certificate and they know that there is no real downside. So they have an insurance policy as vets uh, with their company and they know they're giving this certification. And this is the lawyer in me coming out now. They're knowing that they're giving this certification that this animal um, will not die using this process. And they know that there is a, a statistical probability that the animal will die. Um, but uh, from their perspective, and they're not Muslims, they don't care if it's not 100% uh, the case, because you can never really certify that 100% of the time no animal will die, right? Um, you can certify according to the basis of the knowledge that you have and according to the understanding that you have. And they know that there is no risk here that if they were taken to court because of this certification that someone was somehow uh, proved to them that you know, they, their certificate was, uh, was invalid and they would have to pay up. That's just not going to happen. So when the HFA say that a vet is certifying that this animal will not die, um, I think we have to be uh, cautious about that approach. And I'm not saying, and I will get into you know what my views actually are on HFA and HMC just in a, in a bit, but um, I would caveat this whole vet um, certification thing with, uh, with what I've just said. So 
Um, the crucial thing here is that the animal must not be dead. Um, and uh, and that's why we have this debate in the first place. Now, um, you know, if I see HMC, and let me talk about what I personally, how I personally approach this. If I see, um, if I have a decision about what meat do I bring into my house, then I will prefer to go HMC um, over something like HFA. Um, and I will prefer um, arguably to go for um, a, an unbranded, but halal food if I really trust the butcher. So the HMC and HFA authorities brand foods and they let you know if they are certified and from the right sources. Now what happens in the halal food industry is that you have slaughterhouses, um, abattoirs that are certified HMC where HMC or HFA people will go in and they will certify, they will look that um, that animal is being slaughtered in the right way and they will make sure that everything is done according to uh, the right um, methods and uh, then the, uh, the the HMC will be allowed will allow that um, abattoir to say that yes our products are HMC now HMC don't allow anyone at the other end the the shopkeepers to say that we are HMC certified even if they get delivery from HMC abattoirs because um, the HMC require the, the shop pay them uh, for the privilege of saying we are HMC certified. Now, what this means is that, you know, th there is a, a money calculus to be taken into account here as well, frankly. And that is that HMC meat, because of the certification, actually becomes slightly more expensive. And in this incredibly competitive market, um, you have uh, people who might not go for the HMC certification but have actually HMC um, meat in that they have the biha meat without any stunning going on. Um, and they don't pay for that certification because they know that they have a customer base that doesn't need them to have that uh, sticker on the wall because people trust them. This is a long way of saying that you, you don't necessarily need the HMC sticker to say that this is unstunned meat. As long as you are 100% sure or you are very certain that this is unstunned meat, then that is preferable to stun meat in my um, in my humble opinion. So um, that's the first thing. The second thing, and this is coming back to uh, one of the uh, the comments that we had, which is one argument is to say just Bismillah. Well, Aisha she narrates that a group of people said to the Messenger of Allah, um, some people bring us meat and we don't know whether the name of Allah has been pronounced over it or not. And he, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, you pronounce the name of Allah on it and eat from it. And Aisha Radhi'anha states, those people had embraced Islam recently. And so um, this is a fascinating hadith. And this is from Bukhari. This is a hadith where people are asking Prophet we've been brought some meat. We don't know uh, if it's halal or not. And the name of Allah has been said over it or not. At that time, obviously, everything would be slaughtered correctly. We don't know if the name of Allah was said over it or not. Um, what, do, what do we do? And Rasulullah said that you say the name of Allah on it and then you eat from it. Now there are potentially two ways to go about this. Um, one way is the literal reading, which is that you just say Bismillah over any food and it is halal. Now that doesn't fit with the rest of uh, the corpus of Islamic legal teachings on halal foods, right? Because if that was the, if that was the the quick fix solution, then what is the point of uh, saying that 
the name of Allah needs to be said over the animal at the point of slaughter. Um, if if it was um, the case that you could just say it whenever, and and I, I appreciate, I completely understand that there is a lot of nuance here, and there are discussions in the fiqh about what happens when a person forgets to say the name of Allah over an animal when it's slaughtered, uh, and whether or not that's permissible or not. And we're not going to really go into that today. But what I want to bring out from this hadith is something that I take away from it, which is that you must trust in your brothers and sisters. You must trust in other people when they say that something is halal. If, so, if, a, if a Muslim tells me that something is halal, then I take his word for it. I uh, read this hadith and uh, take upon uh, myself to do what the Prophet told me to do, which is, uh, you pronounce the name of Allah on it and eat from it. You say Bismillah and you get on with it. If a person has come to you with some meat and that meat, uh, and that most person is a Muslim and he's saying that this, this meat is halal, then khalas, that's all you need to know, right? And then and you can just, and you can just um, crack on. So that's the second approach that I take. So first thing I said was if I have control over what I let into the house, I would prefer that it is HMC or, or, or fully Zabiha unstunned meat. The second thing is if a Muslim gives me something, then I will make sure that, you know, if he says it's halal, that I just eat from it. I won't question him. I won't interrogate him. Um, I, I trust my brothers. Now, of course, there's a difference between blind trust and someone you know for a fact um, goes out and he buys uh, and is very proud about buying uh, non-Zabi Hamid um, and uh, he has no problems about, uh, about that. Uh, and you go and eat from him and he says this is halal and you know what his thinking is then of course that becomes uh, potentially problematic for you and I, and I would avoid that and then uh, the final thing to say is um, well what when it comes when the push comes to shove when you see that a, a restaurant has been certified by the HFA um, would you would you eat from it now the, you know the the answer that I think I would like to give is that I would avoid it, and I do sometimes avoid um, eating if if there is just HFA certification. But uh, ultimately, in in my view, uh, if you eat HFA, that is not you eating haram food. That is you opting for what is potentially the weaker opinion. And frankly, ninety five to ninety, however percent, what percentage? Uh, of animals uh, in stunning do not die, uh, that percentage of time you will be eating uh, meat that is perfectly permissible. But there is that small percentage of chance that you will be eating meat that is not permissible. And therefore, um, to as much of an extent as you can, you should try and avoid um, going uh, down that route. Um, so so I, I think that brings me to um, to a conclusion on um, this topic. Um, and, and, and for the Americans, just a final shout out. Uh, you guys, you know, just eat Zabi Hamid. Don't eat non-Zabi Hamid. Uh, I know there's lots of arguments about this Ahl Kitab nonsense. Um, yes, if, if you are eating kosher meat, go for it because the Jewish tradition is still alive today and, and Jews actually do sacrifice properly. But, um, you know, the the Hindu man or the Sikh man or the Buddhist man that has been employed by the abattoir that is slaughtering 
the chickens that go into uh, a chicken burger at McDonald's or the um, you know the the Rastafarian that's slaughtering the cow that goes into a beef burger at um, whatever restaurant they are not from the Ahlul Kitab the person that owns those companies is not from the Ahlul Kitab generally speaking unless he is actually a devout Christian um, and the even even more primary than that the Ahlul Kitab um, at the time of the Prophet would slaughter the animals correctly uh, Zabiha was the way to slaughter an animal and they would say the name of Allah over it right that is what it means to be from the uh, the meat of the Ahlul Kitab. Um, they would be slaughtering in a certain way. There is a difference between the meat of the Ahlul Kitab and the meat of anyone else. And that difference is that the Ahlul Kitab would say the name of Allah over their meat. So my sincere advice to the Americans is, guys, it's not it's a non-debate. Um, eat Zabiha meat um, and, um, and things have become so much easier for you guys in America now where you can eat Zabiha and get Zabiha meat quite easily. So make sure that you uh, that you eat that. Um, if there are any questions, then um, please shout out. And uh, Mohsin, it looks like your uh, your mute is off. Yes. Uh, are you allowed to say something? Yes. Um, so, firstly, Jazakallah Khair, because it was a really okay, useful discussion. Yeah, go for it. Um, yeah. So, saying sorry. Um, Jazakallah khair for a really useful discussion, Ibrahim. Um, this has been a topic that's been on my mind a fair bit recently um, because I think that as a, a generation of Muslims in the UK, we are becoming increasingly conscious of our meat consumption and you referred to um, several things about the environment and so on. And I think not even just Muslims, I think just generally in the UK um, and globally, we are becoming increasingly conscious of our uh, meat consumption. Um, and there was just a couple of things that I wanted to pick up from your discussion. So um, I'll, I'll ask them both and then maybe you can just take them in turn because they're two different points. Um, so from what I've sort of got from the discussion is that you sort of categorize the halal elements as being free range sort of top of the list um yeah. then you've got hmc would be number two and yeah. hfa would be number three but they're all halal there are just different uh degrees of goodness if you can call it that um so my two questions are in the hfa element you referred to some doubt that there might be a small percentage of animals that die due to the stunning and that would make it haram if we knew which animal um, or animals that, that they were. In, in light of um, the whole thing about, you know, where there is doubt, then stay away from it. Is there an argument, um, albeit I can see that this is quite a conservative argument, but I think it might be a cogent argument nonetheless, that because you don't know which animal has died, HFA becomes haram upon us. So that's the first question. Yeah. And the second thing I wanted to talk about was the the verse itself, um, verse 168. Ya tayyiban. So the tayyiban element, um, 
I think in your discussion, we talked about it being that referring to kind of free range. So firstly, you know, is, is, where is this idea that that refers to that, i.e. Tayyiban refers to um, animals being, you know, essentially free range or free to roam and so on. Um, and the second limb of that question is that if Allah is saying to eat halal and tayyiban, then surely that means that we should only eat halal and tayyiban um, and not just halal, if that mm. makes sense. Um, yeah, that does make sense. Um, so, so HFA, I, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you. I'm, I'm kind of questioning whether or not I should be really strict about HFA or not. Um, I think practically I, when I see something, when, when I see something as a certain label as halal in a shop, I, I won't ask questions if I if I know that the person serving is a Muslim um, because I trust them um, and in the background if it is HFA then fine you know um, so be it if the shop is certifying itself as HFA that's where the question comes up and and I think I think taqwa certainly I agree with you that in al halal abayin wal haram abayin the halal is true, uh, clear, and the haram is true. Uh, haram is clear. And there are between that there are um, grey areas. And most people don't know much about them. And if you skirt near that territory, um, Allah subhanahu wa has a hima. Uh, the hadith describes Allah subhanahu wa has a pasture land, and every king has a pasture land. And when you graze near that pasture land then it's inevitable that a few sheep are going to cross over into that pasture land and eat from the forbidden um, you know, pasture. Uh, what that means here is that it is inevitable that if you go into the grey areas, that at some point or another you're going to fall into things that are um, doubtful. So I, I think Taqwa would certainly say that you stay away from it. Um, the other side of the argument here really is twofold where you could at least get some comfort when you if you have <laughs> uh, which is one that they have scholarly backing um they have uh, the vets who are giving certification um and um <clears throat> and ultimately uh you know you are adopting a approach in fic to this to this problem to this discussion um which is uh which can be perfectly valid um, there are actually really well-respected scholars, like very well-respected scholars in the UK and abroad, who approach the, this, uh, who say that the meat of the Ahlul Kitab means any meat in the UK or the West. Uh, very well-respected, Sheikh Yusuf Al-Qardawi uh, uh, and, and others um, uh, as well who have this um, viewpoint. So you can you can just, uh, I suppose, ultimately use a cop out of saying that you know you rely upon. The, these people's analysis um, and Islam is a broad church, but I personally I think I, I would I would avoid it as much as I can. That's the first um, question, and then the second one was you know halal and tayyiba. How does tayyib mean um, free range? Well, um, this was I think a discussion that we had uh, in in a previous uh, a session of the tafsir class, where we talked about um, tayyib a bit more. Um, but in brief, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he doesn't say halal and halala. 
He says halal and tayyibah is two different words. It means two different things. And uh, the the scholars have discussed what exactly this means. And uh, the conclusion is that halal is the legalistic term. Um, and tayyib is something that is more than that, something that is beneficial to you, something that is good, uh, fundamentally good. Um, that you know that's the literal um, uh, something that is pure. Uh, that's a literal translation of of the of the word tayyib. Uh, and um, what that doesn't mean is uh, that certain foods are haram. You know, free range anything that is not free range is haram. I'm not saying that. Um, but it is possible for you to eat a food and it be halal. If you eat, if you're overweight and you're eating lots of ice cream, that food is halal for you, but it isn't tayyib for you. And uh, you're you're not necessarily going to be sinful for eating that food, um, but it isn't in the spirit of of Islam to eat that food given the context that you are in. And that's another thing, by the way. Tayyib is very contextual. Um, so. If human beings are living like Bakri farm uh, chickens in a future world um, and there's just so little space and the world has become polluted or whatever and because of that you are using Bakri farm chickens um, and you are sacrificing them and, you, and eating them I think in that context halal and tayyibah would mean something very different um, so so I, that, those are the two points I think I'd really say which is that there is a difference between halal and tayyib and Tayyib is very um, is very contextual. Can I just follow up on something? Yeah. Um, so I take your point on halal and Tayyib, and I think in our in our context we can comfortably say, especially given what you said earlier on about the damage that meat um, can have on the environment and so on, that um, you know we we really have to think about Tayyib. And you said that halal referred to the legalistic element. Um, but I suppose what I'm driving at is given that the verse, you know, you take the verse as a whole, right? So yeah. given that Allah is saying, so it's like, so the way I read it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that this is a command. The whole thing is the command. So eat halal and tayyib. And even though halal might be the legalistic element, Allah's command goes further than that. And it's to eat halal and tayyib. So you take the verse as a as a holistic verse because Allah wouldn't say yeah. you know this yeah. first bit is optional and the second bit or vice versa. So your thoughts on that? I agree. I, I think that's that's a fair reading. What I'm getting at, I think though, is that the halal the so Allah SWT is saying that you must tick two boxes. One must be halal. The other one is it must be tayyib. Um, the halal box is a technical um, criteria. Um, so the animal must be sacrificed in a certain way. So as long as you've done that, you tick that box. The tayyib is where you go from the form into the substance. And uh, that, I think, is a very much a subjective and a contextual and a, like a nuanced and individualized um, judgment that you have to make. And, um, and so you can't really um, legislate for that. You can't really say that. Uh, you know, if you're not eating free range, that is haram for you. Uh, that, that that food is haram for you. Um, but within a person's context, he needs to consider what that tayyib is. So the, the halal is a legal test, and the tayyib is a moral test. And um, I, I think you can have gr grades of uh, tayyib as well. So you can have really good free range um, 
you know, animals where they are allowed to live for a number of days uh, beyond what uh, a normal uh, chicken would live. Um, and and then you know you've got that that uh, gradient where less and less animal less and less days are are allowed for that animal to live. And so um, where do you say that you know tayyib starts and tayyib ends? And what I'm getting at is as long as you're engaging in this um, moral calculus, then to me, to my mind, that, that you would be satisfying the, the tayyib requirement here. Jazakallah. Brilliant. So um, let's wrap up. Um, inshallah, we'll uh, continue um, in a couple of weeks' time. And if you do have any questions with the, specifically the people in this Tafsir Club, then do um, shout out. It's really good and it's really beneficial for everyone. Jazakallah uh, khair for your questions. And if you haven't already, then uh, follow us on our podcast. You can catch up on all the other tafasir. Um, and uh, it's called Millionaire Muslim and it's available on all uh, podcast um, platforms, um, all major pla podcast platforms. And then uh, the very final thing I would say is um, if you haven't obviously signed up to the uh, email list, then, then do sign up to that as well. Jazakallah uh, khairan. And uh, if you would like us to cover a specific topic, um, then please do get in touch and inshallah we'll try our best to cover that as well. Jazakallah um, khairan and remember, remember us in your du'as. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.